0: we're looking at Philippians chapter four verses six and seven, uh, a passage that uh, may be familiar to many of you. I don't know I don't know why this is, but uh, I, I when I first became a Christian in 2001 I this was the first verse that I memorized. I don't know why the Lord brought it to mind. I don't know why he lodged it in my head. Uh, I, I did have a particularly anxious life and so that may be that may be why, but um, I'm grateful for truths, for promises like this. So we're going to end prayer week with a staggering promise about prayer. So let's, uh, let's look together at Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. I'll actually start reading in verse 4 so you get a sense of the context. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful that you are a talking God, that you speak to us through your word. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would bless the reading and the hearing and now the preaching of your word, particularly as it applies to our prayers. Pray that after we are done today, that we would see that you are the worry-crushing, anxiety-crushing God of peace. And that when we come to you, when we cast our cares upon you, Lord, you respond by giving us your peace. Would you bless this time? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. If you recognize that line, that's a, that's a line from a song in the movie The Lion King. It means no worries. For the rest of your days. It's our problem free philosophy. Um, Hakuna Matata, it's a, it's a Swahili phrase. It means no worries. Uh, if, if the Lion King is just one generation too soon for you, if you didn't see the Lion King, um, then maybe it would be helpful for you to think about Bobby McFerrin from 1988. Don't worry, be happy. All right, there's another song. And if your generation is even prior to that, I don't know. I don't have anything for you. Um, Here's what what we're going to see. We're going to talk about Hakuna Matata in just a second because I don't think that's what Paul's telling us to do. Um, Prayer promises us superior peace in the face of all our worry, in the face of all our anxiety, that when we pray, what God promises to do is actually do away with. He responds to our anxiety with his peace. And here's how we're going to look at that. First, we're going to see how anxiety erupts when we lose control, that the root of anxiety is actually a lack of control, that anxiety is a, is a, even a clinical disorder that deals with control. When we're out of control, we get anxious. And then we're going to see that prayer, what prayer does is it forces us to recognize that God is the one in control what prayer does. That What we're saying when we pray is, Lord, I'm out of control. I'm acknowledging that I'm out of control. and It's actually a good thing that I'm out of control. And I rejoice that you are in control. And so that's what we're acknowledging. That's what we're doing when we pray. And that as we pray, peace is the result. That as we talk to God, as we Bring to him the things that we are most concerned about that are actually even in some cases devastating us. Peace is the result of that. We're going to walk through all of those things. But Paul begins in verse 6 by saying, do not be anxious about anything. Now listen, anxiety is real. Um, Anxiety... Anxiety is the most common mental illness in the U.S. It is, more di- it is more diagnosed and more prescribed than anything else, maybe only with depression. It's kind of his ugly cousin that sometimes goes with it and sometimes doesn't. But if the numbers are right, then many of us, wrestle with anxiety i would actually argue that all of us wrestle with anxiety some of us are more prone to its biological effects than others so anxiety is real so when paul says don't be anxious about anything there's part of me that wants to say geez paul lighten up right that maybe you respond when paul says don't be anxious about anything what you want to say is you don't know me You don't know that it's impossible for me to not worry. Paul has nothing to say to me here. Maybe we should back up for a second and talk about what anxiety is. Anxiety, officially, is a disorder of control. That when control is blocked from us, or that when we cannot get control over something that we care about, we are anxious. And for many of us, if the numbers are right... This actually leads to physical consequences, physical side effects, right? Biology, look, let's talk about biology and spirituality for just a second. Um, Medical science would have you believe that the spiritual side is just kind of a figment of your imagination, and that's what's real is just the science of it. And then there are some in the religious camp who would say, no, 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 science is really the figment. It's really, but the truth is in the spirituality, But actually, we are both spiritual and physical beings. That the spiritual reality of anxiety leads to the physical realities of anxiety. And again, some of us are more susceptible to that than others. Some of us worry more than others. And what we do when we worry, we worry about things that are out of our control. So OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, falls under the umbrella of anxiety. It's over-controlling because this Area of my life is out of control, I will overcontrol this part of my life. And then, right, PTSD, which some of you are familiar with, post-traumatic stress disorder also falls under the umbrella of anxiety because of trauma being out of control. The response is avoidance. Okay, that is that is PTSD. All of it falls underneath uh, the umbrella of anxiety. A panic attack, some of you may have suffered from panic attacks. That is the brain saying, "I can't handle this much weight." So that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is real. I do find it interesting that we, uh, that diagnoses and medication of for anxiety have skyrocketed in the past twenty years. And while I'm not professional enough to speak to the cause, and in fact, most people. Well, nobody really can speak to the causes. The causes, any professional would tell you the causes are pretty complex. But I do find it interesting that we are more secure than we have ever been. We are wealthier than we have ever been. We are more comfortable than we have ever been. And yet, we are more anxious than we have ever been. And so clearly, anxiety does not correlate to our circumstances in life because if if we were to look at our life circumstances compared to previous generations, on the whole, our circumstances are better. And yet, we are more anxious. Why is that? Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And in, all, and in, in light of everything I just said, we almost want to respond, Paul, you just don't get it. You just don't understand me. I can't not Worry. So what is Paul saying? Why does he say, don't be anxious about anything? Is Paul saying hakuna matata? Uh, If you're not familiar with the story of the Lion King, Simba is the main character. He watches his father die, unbeknownst to him. It's actually his uncle's fault. His uncle is the one who kills his dad. This this is a Disney movie, by the way. Um, But Simba thinks it's his fault, and so he runs away. He runs away out into the wilderness uh, where he almost dies. He's found by a warthog and a meerkat named Timon and Pumbaa. And they tell him, Hakuna Matata, no worries. That all happened in the past. And you can't do anything about it. And so the way that we move forward is we just say, no worries. Leave the past behind you. Now, that movie came out in 1994. And so I was... I was 14 years old and even at the age of 14 that philosophy of life seemed to ring a little bit hollow to me. And oddly ironically, right that song is probably the most popular song in the whole movie, but it actually doesn't fit the movie because Simba actually does have to go back. That that he can't live no worries. He can't get away from his past. He actually has to go back and confront his past. And so you see that that philosophy, it doesn't even work in the story in which it's placed, and it certainly doesn't work in real life, right? When, I mean, there's a reason that Bobby McFerrin's song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, only has those four words in it. The rest of it's just whistling because it can't actually deal with the reality of life. It can't Like, don't worry, be happy will not get you through just about anything. That's called the power of positive thinking. Now, full disclosure, I'm a pessimist and a bit of a cynic, so maybe that's why the power of positive thinking doesn't ring as true with me. But I would argue that that philosophy, no worries, actually ignores reality and does more harm than it does good. And so Paul is not saying hakuna matata. He is saying, don't be anxious for anything. And so Paul is acknowledging the reality of anxiety. He's saying, you are worried. You are anxious. It is real. And I'm about to tell you what to do with it. So if you are a person here this morning who wrestles with worry and anxiety, if even you have a clinical diagnosis and you take medicine for it, Paul is not saying your emotions don't exist. He's not saying that's not real. But he is saying There is a deeper underlying cause to your anxiety that must be addressed. Medicine helps some. Medicine is a good thing. But there is a deeper spiritual reality that must be confronted. And Paul says the way to confront it, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, make your request known to God. Paul doesn't put anything outside of the realm of, of prayer, right? He says, don't be anxious about anything total, but in everything total pray, take it to God. So prayer acknowledges, recognizes that God is really in control. If I am anxious or worried because I am out of control, then what I need most is not to lie to myself about, oh, no, 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 I can get back in control. What I need most is to acknowledge that, no, I, that's true, I am out of control, but I don't have to worry because somebody better than me is in control. Let's look at a couple of passages that talk about prayer and anxiety. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus spent some time talking about this. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious, there's that same word, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, are they, are you not of more value than they?" And which of you, by being anxious, which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, they neither how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The first thing that Jesus is saying about prayer and the, one of the reasons that prayer deals with our anxiety is because prayer is seeking something better. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. He's telling us to seek something better. I want you to think about this for a second. The people that Jesus was talking to put more work, and this applies not just not just to me who can go to the store and run to the grocery store, etc., but even people who grow their own food, the people in Jesus' day spent more effort in clothing themselves and eating than any of us will ever spend. I mean, you could argue that the majority of their day's time was spent just putting food on the table. And then they had to be clothed in order to do that, in order to work and get food on the table. They had to also make their clothes. They didn't, right? They didn't have the option of running up to Alabaster and saying, "Okay, do I want to go to Walmart, Target, Kohl's, or J.C. Penney? Which were, where, where? I need a shirt. Which one of those am I going to go to?" Right? They pretty much just had ah shirt, just one. Okay. And Jesus was able to look at them and say, "Don't be anxious about it." This thing that consumes most of your reality, don't be anxious about it. Now, was he telling them to not work? Was he telling them to not eat? Was he saying, listen, all you're going to need to do is go into your house and just start praying and food and clothing will appear? No, of course not. But what he is saying is adjust your priorities. He says, the Gentiles strive after these things. The, the people who don't know me, they run to and fro, so busy, so worried about where the next meal is going to come from, where the next bit of clothing is going to come from. And Jesus is saying, that's important, but it's not most important. A pastor once told me that the good is the greatest enemy of the best. That we will often pursue just what is good and totally leave off the best. And what Jesus is saying in that passage is, seek the best and the good will come. Seek the best and the good will come. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. How do we do that? Well, just a few verses prior to that, Jesus taught us how to pray. We looked at that prayer last week. The first part of that prayer was, hallow your name, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. How do we do that? We pray. We pray that God would cause us to seek first his kingdom so that our anxieties would be quenched on something better. That we wouldn't worry over what's important and what's good. Food and clothing is necessary. Nobody's arguing that it's not. And yet, Jesus frees us by saying we don't have to worry about it. So prayer, first, is seeking something better. Second, prayer is standing on something stronger. Go to Romans chapter 8, if you've got a Bible. Romans chapter 8. This is Paul's answer to when life circumstances don't seem to be turning out the way you want them to. In fact, Paul is talking to people who are being persecuted or who very soon will be persecuted for their faith. So they, they are about to undergo a severe trial. Some of their friends may already have been arrested. Odds are they will lose their material wealth. Their lives will be threatened. And here is what Paul says in Romans eight thirty one. In fact, what we're acknowledging in prayer is that we are too weak, that we are too small, that we are too little to handle what life is going to throw at us, and so we pray. We don't worry. We pray because we have something stronger to stand on, namely God's promise. And there's one final thing. Prayer throws our worries on loving shoulders, in 1 Peter, chapter 5, Peter says this. Cast all your worries on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties, it's the same word, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The picture there, right, I mean, if, you're, if you've been anxious... If you've been worried, you know what that feels like. You know how it feels like a ton of bricks on your shoulders. Where's it going to go? What are you going to do? What do I do with this burden? And what Peter says is, you carry it into the Father's presence and you throw it off your shoulders onto His. If you've, um, I made the the mistake one time of um, going to a CrossFit class and one of the one of the exercises I don't I don't even know what this is called I think it's called a power clean. Anyway, you basically take a bar with two big weights on the end and you squat it up from the ground and then and actually you, I went over my head that was the first mistake going over my head with it was even like 90 pounds of weight I'm, I'm a wuss but it went over my head onto my shoulders right and then you were supposed to do so many squats and then you but you're just supposed to shrug the weight off and walk forward right. You don't try to pull it back over and put it down. You just kind of shrug it off. Now, make sure you walk forward when you shrug it off or it's going to hurt. But So that's, that's the picture right there, okay? You've got, you've got the, the, the weight. You've got the bar with the weights on the end resting on your shoulders. And then you just walk forward and you throw it off, right? That's, that's what Peter says. Prayer is casting the burden on stronger shoulders. And not just stronger shoulders. Listen to the truth that Peter tells you there. God doesn't hear your prayers begrudgingly. When we pray, God does not say, man, why is he talking to me again? When is this guy going to get it together? Surely he's got life figured out by now. Why does he keep asking me stuff? No, Peter says, God cares for you. We can pray. We can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And the result of prayer, just a quick word about uh, the content of our prayer. If you look at there in Philippians 4, he uses four different words. Uh, Prayer, which was just general prayer. Supplication, which is asking God for something, for a need. And then he says, uh, Make your request known. And so you kind of have three words there that deal with asking God for something. And then he says something important. He says, with thanksgiving. Paul was big on thanksgiving, on giving thanks, on this heart of thankfulness. Why? Because what thankfulness does is it acknowledges, it actually humbles us. Right? Thanksgiving is acknowledging that God is in control of reality and that whether the answer to the prayer is yes or no, We can trust that he's good. And we can trust that he's got this. And so thanksgiving takes us out of that position of pride and puts us in a position of humility. And so the result, when we make our request known to God, what does God say will happen? What does Peter say will happen? And the peace of God. Listen, when you wrestle with anxiety, when you wrestle with worry, you can have two responses. We kind of talked about this a little bit. Either you can you can ignore reality. You can just pretend that what's back there isn't really back there and just keep moving. But usually what happens when you do that is it just keeps piling up, does it not? Until all of a sudden there's an explosion. That's one way to handle worry. The other way, and maybe and maybe this is what means don't worry be happy the other way is to say it's fine i got this it'll be okay right is that's actually the way of pride pride says i don't need any help i'm just gonna just gonna man through it it's gonna be all right we're gonna cowboy up on it prayer is different than both because prayer is acknowledging that i don't have it that no amount of Strength on my part will take care of it, that God must do it. And when we do that, when we pray, we get peace. Peace, the opposite of anxiety. So follow the progression for me. Don't be anxious. Instead, pray. And when you pray, you will receive peace. That's the, that's the flow that Paul takes us through Peace, this word, the, the Bible's word, shalom, one author says it's the, the smile of God in the soul of the believer. Peace is, peace is that all around sense of well being. Not just that I'm at peace with you, but I'm at peace with God. And because I'm at peace with God, everything else is right with the world. But I want you to notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, God will take away the pain. He doesn't say God will make it all better. He does not say when I, when I pray, Lord, this person is is too much trouble. Will you just will you just take care of it? Will you just take him away? God doesn't God doesn't say, God, God doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise that the back pain is going to go away. He doesn't promise that you're going to have a lot of money in your checking account tomorrow. That's not the promise of peace. What he is promising is that his smile will rest on you whether any of that changes or not. And most often the way God works is not necessarily to deliver us out of some affliction or trial. But to actually come walk beside us through the trial. That he is with us in the affliction. Not that he removes the affliction completely. He might. We have many testimonies of God's healing and favor in that way, but that's not the promise. The promise is peace, the promise is God's sense of well being with me, whether good or bad. Paul goes on to say in just a few verses. Verse 11 of chapter 4, "...not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's a man who understands God's peace." Paul says God's peace surpasses all understanding. What he means by that is that this peace is unfathomable. It doesn't always make sense. You would look at the, at the lives of many Christians, particularly in Paul's day, and you, could, and you would look at their lives, you would see that they were either being tortured or they were being killed or even just that they were being imprisoned. You could look at Paul's life. The man, the man sang hymns in prison at night. He's been arrested for the faith. Um, there, no, no idea what's going to happen to him. And he and his buddies are just singing in the jail cell. Either he's crazy, or he has something unfathomable. And people probably thought he was crazy, right? God's peace surpasses our understanding. It is deep. It is a deep well. And God's peace guards us. Philippi, the 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 church that Paul was writing to in this letter, the city of Philippi had a Roman garrison. So they were used to seeing Roman soldiers around. They understood what it meant to have their city guarded. Paul's saying that what what guards the believer is not a well-trained army or a well-armored soldier. Our security and well-being do not rest in military might. Our security, because if they do... You're a step away from anxiety. And that's really where most of us live. I mean, I, I think the struggle point for most of us in this is that we are resting our well-being in things that cannot provide it. Yes, we've got all the right insurances. Yes, we've got a wealth. Let me ask you, if you're over, if you are over the age of 50, how did 2008 affect your portfolio? Was there a little bit of, how does how would the loss of a job right now affect your sense of well-being? Paul is saying that the reason we're anxious, most of the time, I'm not trying to denigrate clinical anxiety or depression, the reason that we're anxious is because we are resting in things that we cannot control, and when those things are taken away or when they are jeopardized, we flip. Conversely, Paul is saying that when we pray, something altogether different happens. That whether my investments take a hit, even whether I lose my job or not, that I can know, and I'm not saying that this is easy, this is why it's unfathomable, that I can know the peace and well-being of God. That I am protected not by a man with a sword or a man with a gun, but that I am protected by the Almighty Creator Himself, who allows me to call him Father. That's what we have in prayer. That's why Paul That's why Paul can say, Don't be anxious in anything, but in everything, pray. A quick illustration of what it looks like to live Philippians four seven sixty Years ago today, Jim Elliott, he and his four friends who were missionaries to a tribe in Ecuador who had never heard the gospel, their their mission plan was to fly over with planes, drop gifts, and then to land the plane where the best spot they could find it in the river and basically try to share the gospel. They spent years learning the language of this kind of hidden tribe of people in Ecuador. They had spent years preparing for this moment, a lot to be anxious about. Is our, are our studies good enough? Is the plane going to run out of gas? Most of all, this, this was a warlike tribe. Most of all, what happens if they kill us? Those, uh, those five men, there were five men, agreed. They were, one of them carried a, a, a weapon but they were agreed that none of them would kill any of the natives because each one of those men knew that they were bound for heaven. And they knew that if they killed one of those natives, they were bound for hell. And so they made the agreement between five of them early on that if something goes wrong, then death is our lot. And 60 years ago today, on a little narrow strip of sand, In a river in Ecuador, Jim Elliot and his friends were speared to death. Jim Elliot's credo, and and the world heard about this and said it was a tragedy. And yet, the words that Jim Elliot lived by were this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. That's living Philippians 4, 6 and 7. That is casting your anxieties on the God of all grace who is able to take life or give it. But to acknowledge that I don't have anything to worry about when I put my foot on that sandy beach. I don't have anything to worry about. I bet he was terrified. You can imagine they were terrified when, when they rushed out of the jungle with spears in hand. But they were at peace. They had a settled peace beforehand. And even though I bet they faced abject terror in the moment, they understood that, as his biography says, that they were in the shadow of the Almighty. That's what it means to live Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Paul says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's really the kicker right there. Familiar with the word citadel? I love that word. It's an old word. For a protected fort. It, it has the, a protected fortress. It has the, the ring of impregnable. Indestructible. Jesus is our citadel of peace. That if we are in Christ Jesus. That means that we have come to God. And we have said I am a sinner. Unworthy of your grace. And yet you give it to me in Christ. I rest myself in Christ. If that is you then you are secure in the citadel of peace. So Paul is not saying, look at the storm and just say it's not a big deal. That's not what Paul says. And the call of prayer is opposed to the call to see the storm and grab the wheel and say, bring it on. That's not prayer. The call to prayer is, Is a call to see the storm, acknowledge that it's a big storm, and then run to the captain and say, I'm all yours. That's what prayer is. That's why we pray. And so I would ask you this morning and invite you this morning, do you have a captain to run to? Do you have a citadel around you, or are you facing the anxieties of life, all by yourself. Run to Jesus. Find yourself in Him. And He will steer you all the way home. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love Your promises. God, I confess, I, I, I strive... For peace, I strive after so many things that I think will finally bring me a sense of well-being, will finally bring me a sense of peace. And they're all the things that Jesus says, don't worry about them. That's me he's talking to. And so, God, I acknowledge that my first response is not prayer, but striving. Would you help us to be more like Paul, who had come to understand that prayer Is the first work. Prayer even is the highest work. That in prayer we run into the citadel and we grab hold of the robe of Jesus who invites us into the throne room and says, Don't worry. Have my peace. Let's go. God, would you give us praying hearts? Like that. We ask it in Jesus' name.